Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Teacher's Pet Podcast. This is your host, Trey Cabler. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the end of your summer break as we all prepare to get back in the classroom. Um, I Make sure that you guys go back and check out the last couple episodes. Um, I released a episode with uh, Representative Melissa Provenzano, um, who was awesome to talk to. We had a lot of great things to uh, get into regarding education policy in the state, so make sure you go look at that. Uh, two episodes will be out next week. Make sure you guys go check out the Instagram to see not only those episodes, but some stuff that I put on off the air. So without further ado, uh, I'm really excited today. Um, Eric Parker Perry, who was a guest a couple weeks ago, uh, recommended me uh, to this man right here, Mr. Milton Bowens. So, uh, Mr. Bowens, thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you, Trey, for for ha having me. I'm glad to be able to be able to talk to you about public ed. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you currently do. Currently, I am the uh, district curriculum coordinator for Chickasha Public Schools, pre-K through through twelve as well as our, our quality academy. So right now I'm in the process of, of working with teachers and training teachers and um, giving our curriculum a much needed update and uh, facelift uh, to meet some of the current needs that our kids have. Awesome. Um, before we get into those things, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from um, and your journey kind of to get to where you are now in education? Uh, really, it's kind of a a full circle type type of thing. I was born and raised in in uh, Chickasha. I attended Chickasha Public Schools from Head Start all the way through high school. I attended the University of Central Oklahoma, UCL Go Broncos, uh, received my degree in social studies ed, and then taught for 10 years at Northwest Class in High School, Go Knights. Um, made some incredible uh, relationships there and met some incredibly talented teachers, counselors, and, and administrators during my time there. And then um, after I realized that I was ready to try to make a difference in a different way, um, I worked for uh, the K-20 Center of Education and Community Renewal at the University of Oklahoma, worked there as a curriculum specialist and got to work with districts all across the state. I uh, got to work with wonderful teachers, uh, principals, and and uh, superintendents on doing planning for districts, uh, doing things to prepare students for post-secondary opportunities. Got to really connect with different students from different places. So that was an incredible time there and uh, ended up uh, not what I ever thought I would be, be back at was in Chickasha. Um, they, they had some issues with students dropping out in some other areas and um, called me in and asked if I would come and serve as their graduation coach, which is working with at-risk students, um, working with the community, working with, with teachers and leaders um, to help put some policies, some procedures and some structures in place to really help keep our students engaged, keep them um, linked in, but most of all, just meet, meet their needs uh, so that they will continue after high school that they can make it through high school. Uh, and so that's what I did. And then I was uh, moved from there to um, kind of coordinating the curriculum for the entire district. That is uh, that's quite a little path right there. Um, well, 
yeah that's uh it's awesome to hear uh you know i think a lot of people whenever they think of uh education usually they think of either uh teachers or administration and really that's kind of the only thing a lot of people don't realize um especially large districts tend to have somebody like your position that's a curriculum specialist so on that note um for people that aren't really familiar with it what does what does your day-to-day -day look like what are the short-term things you're looking at and also long-term things uh so my my day-to-day -day is crazy um um, no, I'm I'm dealing with you know potential vendors and professional development opportunities, uh, as well as working with some of our other district leaders and site leaders on 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 you know assessments for students, um, instructional practices. Um, short term is to really get some some basic curriculum things in place, some mapping so that teachers and students know where they're going. Um, they know how much time they need to get there, as well as how to build in enrichment opportunities for students, as well as uh, extra support and remediation for students if they're not meeting with what the standards call for. Uh, because we're we're long past that time of well, I taught it, they they should should have got it. I'm moving on. Uh, no, if you you may have said it, you may have presented it, but if they didn't obtain the level of proficiency or mastery that that standard requires. We got to we got to do some more tilling of that soil to make sure that they are getting what they need before we just move on. Um, so I think we learned a lesson from that type of action. So short term, that's what I'm working on is putting some of those, those things in place by working with teachers. And that's probably the, the most exciting part of my job currently is working with teachers at different sites and bringing in their expertise. Um, too often, I think we look outside and try to bring in an outside answer when really a lot of districts have the actual talent and capabilities. They just need to have someone that can coordinate it together, bring out the best in some people, provide some people some opportunities that they probably haven't had to have a voice and have some choice in what's happening in their school and in their classroom. So that's kind of what I'm doing short term. Long term is to build a robust, uh, relevant and responsive curriculum for our, our district. Uh, that will meet the needs of all students. So our special ed students, our English language learners, um, students from different um, cultural backgrounds have a culturally uh, relevant and responsive curriculum that really meets students where they are and what they need, not just to send them to college, but if, if, that, if that's their choice, they're well prepared to go to college, but also to prepare them for, you know, um, technical schools, the military, as well as just straight in, in, into the workforce. Um, but they have those necessary skills to, to, to do those things well, but also to provide a curriculum that pushes students to leave as well-rounded as possible and that have a, a wider world view outside of the, just their community that they know. So that's kind of long, long-term one of the things I'm working on. I, I love everything you just said, um, especially recently. Uh, I just I went through a really intensive three day PLC training. Um, and like this last year, I was lucky enough to be able to implement a lot of new ideas because my administration basically said, try it and see if it works um, and implemented a lot of the things that you're talking about this year. You're talking about the 
remediation, making sure that kids are backfilling knowledge gaps to ensure that they have those skills. That's something that we're looking to do. How, how is your district approaching that remediation aspect of teaching especially? Because I think a lot of uh, schools look at their school day and the time that they have, and they really don't feel like there's time to go back and ensure that students are getting the skills they need while also continuing with the curriculum at the same time. Well, one of the tools, well, one of the things that I learned, I, I had the the opportunity and the privilege to work with some amazing teachers when I first entered into this profession. And one of the things that they really stressed and pressed on me was first instruction, best instruction. So, so give it to them the best that you can pre-prepare them, um, you know, make sure that you're checking for understanding in that moment uh, so that you're not, you know, teaching a whole week's worth of content test. They bomb the test. And now you got to try to figure out how to, figure out what, what their needs are. Uh, so, so that's one thing that I'm really stressing and working with our teachers on is developing a, 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 an instructional method that really allows them to assess students in the moment um, to, see where, to see where they are, to pick up on any gaps or anything, but also to create assessments in a timely manner that actually you can disaggregate that, that, that data and find out, no, they're not weak in this whole unit. They're just weak in one small part. Um, building that into an actual instructional day, because let's be honest, in most spaces, once that once that last bell rings or parents are there to pick up, you can't really hold kids after school anymore. I think we're kind of gotten into a, a stuck place where culturally, you know, if you don't get them while you have them in front of you, while you don't have, if you don't get them while you have a captive audience, it's going to be hard to help them to remediate. Um, so at the secondary level, you know, building in instructional time, some uh, some remediation, but not just remediation, but enrichment. One of the things that I've seen in too many districts is that sometimes we place all of our emphasis on those students that are deemed, quote unquote, low performing students. And in the process, we have these students that have mastered or have been labeled proficient on the standard, and we pump the brakes on them versus giving them opportunities to be creative and do things outside of the norm that will keep them engaged. Because what tends to happen is when you don't give those students what they need, they end up disengaging and becoming towards the low end or become discipline issues. Uh, so, so that's one thing is you're trying to build that into an actual day where you're pulling your best talent together to work with those students on both ends of that spectrum. And it just becomes a regular part of your, of your, of your instructional week. And, and that's hard because some I've worked with schools that have students that are on there half half a day because they attend a tech center um, the other half of the day. So you're always trying to figure out how do I reach the largest number of students in the most impactful way. And I think it's just administration and teachers being willing to be creative and think outside of the box um, with our elementary. Um, part of that is just helping parents to be equipped to work with their students um, and providing tutors that they can come in. We're working on, we have a uh, title one tutors that come in and work with students for like kind of pull out sessions, but all that's good in, in works if you have first instruction as the best instruction possible. And that's kind of where you kind of save, save some, some time and resources is if you get it right the first time with students. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I, it's so important, especially whenever you're presenting new materials and new concepts that you're checking for that in real time every single day. And unfortunately, um, I've run into a lot of educators that uh, worksheets and textbooks are typically the way that they approach learning. And it just simply does not work. Um, I don't think it really ever worked for the most part, but especially now with uh, the needs of our students, it's it's really an untenable practice. You're talking about enrichment. Um, that's something that I, I always have in the back of my mind with the curriculum is how can I make my curriculum applicable, not just within the confines of the classroom, but really apply this to real world situations and problems that make it not only more interesting, but more meaningful. Um, and you know, you're talking about kids that have mastered things and need enrichment. I've also found that whenever I provide those creative outlets to the kids that are labeled as low, a lot of time that gives them the ability to actually learn it and demonstrate that they have learned it. Absolutely. Whenever you, yeah, whenever you say things like enrichment opportunities, uh, can you, to the teacher that's listening to this right now thinking, what could I do? What are some examples of enrichment opportunities that you can give at say the secondary level? So at the secondary level, um, we need to get more into, into inquiry-based learning and project-based learning, um, or, no, or, or problem-solving-based, however you want to uh, interpret that. But those opportunities, that, that type of, uh, of instructional practice give, gives students a lot of voice and choice. It gives them the opportunity to construct knowledge. But one of the things that really, I would say, turned my whole teaching perspective and philosophy around is when I became engaged with the with the um, authentic authenticity framework by Newman in his research about about teaching it in a way that allows students to really construct an understanding of a, of a, of a concept or 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 an idea versus me being the fountain of all knowledge in the room and telling them, but letting them work with it, letting them get in, into some inquiry, letting them kind of explore and create that understanding. Um, but also uh, having them engage in, in deep conversations. Um, this is something that I've, I've shared with, uh, with uh, principals this, this, this morning was that, was that a quiet classroom with all the chairs in, in, in a perfect row with the perfect decorations from the latest uh, Pinterest trend doesn't necessarily mean there's high quality instruction going on. And so in terms of, of enrichment, is that when you teach from that from that perspective of value beyond school and construction of knowledge and in deep uh, meaningful conver conversations and dialogue that happens and, uh, and all, all those pieces together, then you can extend the learning by having students then take it what what they've been been proficient in or even what they're low in, then have them try to work that into a real world scenario where they have to work it out, problem solving something like that, that also brings students together to really collaborate. And that's an absolutely necessary skill is that collaboration piece. We can see it with the way adults are functioning now, um, that our students need to learn how to collaborate with people who may not share the same ideas that they have. And so those are kind of the enrichment opportunities that I'm, I'm talking about. Um, letting, there have been times where I've let students, after we've covered something I taught, uh, history and government and, and politics and econ. And uh, after we kind of finished a, a, a concept, I would give some time my students the opportunities 
to to be creative with you know tech or whatever they wanted to do. Um, I've had I've had students taking a, a a concept, but they're also kind of a fine arts student, and you don't really get to really show that side of yourself in your core classes. But I've had students make you know music videos um, or creative art that represents what they've been been working on, and they just have to be able to explain and articulate how it all connects and what the bigger uh, outcome is for them. And I mean, it's little things like that that keeps them engaged and they see that their talents and their gifts are, are valuable outside of their normal you know, area or space. Absolutely. Um, I am a firm believer in uh, the efficacy of project-based learning. I have seen kids that are completely uninterested in learning anything about a book or something that we're uh, learning in an English class and become ecstatic about it. Um, I had a couple of kids that they were amazing welders um, of all things, right? So whenever I assigned the final project for the end of the year, they just had no idea what to do. I was like, well, you know, you can weld. Can you show me what you've learned from this, this novel uh, using welding? And they... They made this awesome project that I, I I never in a million years could even like think of doing because I ha I'd probably burn my arm off welding. But uh, another thing that I've that I've decided to do this year, I'm teaching senior English this year, um, and one thing I've decided to do, Eric Wrightson, um, a teacher, a history teacher as well, he put me on to something called uh, Generation Citizen. Have you heard of that before? Yeah, I actually uh, worked with them for a, a period of time. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm trying to implement that into my English curriculum because a lot of the skills that are related to uh, being a functioning adult with ELA skills relate back to that. Um, mm -hmm. But that just that whole incorporation of things that are outside of the norm of what students um, are used to experiencing really give them an opportunity to experience true and lifelong learning that sticks with them. Right. Even if they might not realize it in that moment, 10 years down the road, they will be thankful that they had that opportunity to do it. Um, let's shift gears a little bit from talking about enrichment and remediation. Let's go into the curriculum side of things. You said a long term goal is to create a rigorous but also responsive curriculum for students that gives them the tools and the skills they need to be successful regardless of where they're heading after high school. Um, you know, curriculum in general, I think has been pretty static. Um, I graduated high school about nine years ago. And whenever I look at most classrooms, um, it's very similar to whenever I left. But if you look at the change that's happened in our world in the last nine years, um, it is significant. How are you working to keep your curriculum up with the times that we are living in? Well, um, part of that is, is starting with the OAS standards, uh, seeing what, what that calls for, but also being willing to go above and beyond what, what those standards sometimes call, call for. So in terms of developing the, the curriculum, it's looking back at what, what does research currently say? Um, so sometimes we do things that might have been okay, 10, 15 years ago, 20 year, years ago, it worked for them, it's gonna work for these. And the research is showing us something you know, uh, different. Um, today, I spent some time and some training about the, the science behind how we learn to read and write. 
And, and it was mind blowing that some of the practices that we've been doing have had no research behind them. It's actually some of those practices and things might have, have actually, somebody created a product, a curriculum product and forced and tailored research to, to, to support that when an independent research does not show that that really provides students the proper gains in, in reading and writing, just basic comprehension and lit and literacy skills. So just re-examining some of those, you know, pieces. Um, to me, uh, textbooks are just a tool. I know oftentimes when people hear curriculum, oh, so you do it textbooks. Uh, yeah, and that's not all. Um, textbooks are just a tool, it's just a resource. Um, I had, I, I explained it to people like this. Um, if your only tool is a hammer, then you're going to look at everything as a nail. Uh, when, when, when the more tools you have, the more options that, that you see, the more things that you can engage with to help students. Um, so in terms of our ELA and, and, and social studies, and well, I'll say just across the whole spectrum of, of our core subjects and even with our electives, um, really in really hammering in on the literacy components that you know reading and writing isn't just a ela thing it's a social studies it's a science it's a mathematics it's a it's a drama in theater it's band uh yes it's even athletics uh so so really kind of create some of some of those themes and some of those pieces that they, they go through all that really build those skills um in terms of I don't really necessarily believe in chasing trends. Um, I don't necessarily uh, believe in directing all the curriculum towards a test. Uh, because what I've learned is that if you provide good instruction, if you provide quality re resources and experiences for students, they will perform well on those tests. Right now, if you're if you're tailoring everything towards a test, which I, I do realize now that I'm in a district level position, I do realize that is the name of the game. That is how we're judged, funded. That's how we live, live or die to a certain extent. But that doesn't have to guide everything you do. If, if, if you put students first, then the other stuff will come along, like, you know, test scores and things like that. So that's in terms of like rigor. But the relevancy piece is for like e ELA getting like checking out some of those reading lists, bringing some new authors, some of the younger authors. Uh, that doesn't mean we throw away the classics. But what if we just thought outside the box for a moment and, and, and took a classic and paired it with a with a with a, a modern uh, contemporary or something like that, that they could then do a comparison. Right. Um, a lot of people and, and create space for authors with different voices. Uh, so even including more, you know, maybe women authors or or authors from different communities or, or, or cultures, because they, they bring something to the to the table in, in their works that our students can absolutely benefit from um, with our uh, and, and just really fusing that all the way throughout, uh, letting students see themselves. That has been something that has made has worked well for me and my students over the years is that when I taught history, I didn't teach it from one lens. I always taught history from, yes, the dominant majority, you know, winner's perspective, but I spent a great deal of time teaching it from, from, the, from the people that necessarily don't have a voice. 
So no matter what we talked about, you you got to see what what are women doing doing during this period? What are African Americans? What are what is the Asian population doing? The indigenous, the Hispanic, like like what are these different cultures and groups doing? Because they're not just sitting off on the sidelines while you know Paul while Paul Revere is running through the you know the streets. There's there's things happening, um, and so giving students that type of experience, then a student who may not be a student of color has now had an, an opportunity to see the world through another you know, person's eyes or, or, or experience with life. And then we are creating more open-minded students. And then our students of color, our, our, our minority students, female students, especially within the areas of science and mathematics are seeing what is possible for them. They, they feel included in this great narrative that we're talking about and studying. Um, they have, they feel like they're not an outsider who's just been invited to the to the table, but they are at, at the table. They're ordering the meal. They're also getting, you know, so just really making them feel inclusive. And I think that's what a culturally relevant or, or responsive curriculum does is that it helps people to see each other's different experiences um, from a perspective that is not demonizing anybody, but it's helping you to understand how we got to where where we are to understand that there's a place for all of us at this great table. And uh, and my hope is through that, some of the bigotry and uh, small-minded you know, um, things that we are seeing run rampant right now in our, in our country uh, will be diminished because people will have a different, they don't have to agree, but at least they can understand where somebody else is coming from. And I think a culturally responsive and re relevant curriculum makes that possible as well as engaging students, touching the whole student to feel included, to feel like they have value to really contribute to, to the class. Uh, so that that's kind of the, the goal behind that. Uh, I love it. Um, you know, that the concept of telling the story of everyone, I was trying to explain uh, to my students probably last year, the importance of understanding the story in its entirety. Are you a fan of the Marvel movies? Absolutely. The The way that the analogy I made is imagine that you got to the, the last battle in, uh, in Endgame and the entire time, the only storyline that you had seen was Tony Stark's, right? Yeah. And I'm like, would you, would you care about the rest of, like the movie would not be anything like it was if you don't understand the life of every single person that's involved to get to that point. Um, I love that. I love that, that, that analogy. I love it. Please steal it. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, with, with what you just said, right. Um, I've asked a lot of guests about it. Um, Dr. Cox is one of the people that's running for superintendent was on a couple weeks ago and uh, he was pretty straightforward about his opinion. What in, because of the goals of curriculum that people like you and myself also are trying to ensure that kids get a full scope of history and everything else, um, how does House Bill 1775 affect someone in your position? Um, just in normal times, curriculum is always a lightning rod for you no know, criticism. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say it makes it extremely well. It makes it it makes it more challenging, especially in the areas of ELA and social studies and the and the 
social sciences um, because we, we know what, what the agenda of that bill really is. Uh, we know that it's based off of a fictitious problem that doesn't exist, right? There's, there's, there's no teachers teaching critical race theory. Um, I would be willing to say that if you polled most of the population in this state, they really don't know what critical race theory is. Um, it's a collegiate level type of com convert, convert, conversation, um, but it's to score political points. And they're scoring political points on, on the backs of public educators. The ones that they just cheered on through teaching during a, a pandemic and called you no know, teachers heroes and, and first responders and essential workers and all of those you no know, lofty titles and you no know, things. And they come and slap them in the face to say you can't be trusted to teach, you know, fairly and equitably and inclusively uh, to our students. In terms of a curriculum position, it, it becomes frustrating because what's what's going to happen in a lot of areas, if we're not careful, is just out of plain fear or not wanting to rock the boat. We're going to see the dumbing down of our of our ELA. Of especially of our like English lit classes and the dumbing down of our of our of our social studies because of fear of offending or hurting or stressing anyone without realizing to certain populations that's been going on for a mighty long time. Uh, and so it does make it a little bit harder, but the, but the thing I stress to parents, teachers, um, elected officials that I come across is that we teach the Oklahoma ac ac academic standards. We teach the, the standards. And yes, some of those standards deal with topics that some people would probably rather not talk about. They they do. We, we do hear about Ida, Ida B. B. Wells in the U.S. history uh, standards who, who brought national attention to lynching. Um, we do talk about the about the Tulsa massacre and why that happened. Um, we do talk about the Holocaust. We do talk about the um, Japanese internment. We do talk about the suffragettes, not just that they were nice ladies in, in long skirts picketing, but they were imprisoned. They some of them were you no know, forced forced fed during their uh, hunger strikes. Um, we do talk about the uh, about the farm workers movement in the in, in the 60s. Uh, so we do talk about the, the, those topics, but. It's never to demonize anybody or to or to make people feel guilty. What it is is to let you see what happened, understand why those things happened, and to hopefully move forward without you know letting those things come come back again. Um, but it does with curriculum because you know you can get an open records request or just a request period to see what textbooks are being used, what what sources are being used, what you no know, materials are being used, um, and you have to justify that. And so part of my justification is we teach the Oklahoma academic standards. That That's what they're there for. A group of educators and community members and politicians on both sides of the aisle uh, deem those acceptable and rigorous. And I will say that Oklahoma standards are probably more rigorous than in some of our surrounding states. Uh, so we have a good set of, of standards. Can they always be improved? Absolutely. But we do have a good set of standards to work work off of. And uh, and I think 
you know, one of the instructional trainings that I feel the need to really do more of, I've done it for other districts, I'm gonna have to bring it to mind, is teaching teachers how to navigate difficult conver conver conversations and uh, that happen in the classroom, um, to be able to manage and to, and to facilitate those in a way that is inclusive, truthful, honest, open, but that doesn't, um, you know, break the law now. Uh, so, so just helping teachers to navigate that so that they don't feel like they're constantly under threat, which a lot of teachers have reached out to me, you know, especially within ELA and social studies um, throughout, the, throughout, throughout the state and on different platforms have reached out to me saying that they feel like they can't do anything but go but go backwards and teach the way that we really try to pull teachers from teaching. Yeah, no. Um, I've certainly thought about some of my curriculum choices because in my mind I go, well, if uh, a parent complains about this, I could potentially be fired, um, which is a really weird place to be as an educator that uh, we have a teacher shortage, but we are threatening our educators with uh, – possibly losing their job and a career because they want to challenge our students. I, I emphasize heavily in my classroom um, discussion of really not controversial topics, but topics that people are very opinion about, opinionated about. Um, and I've had many instances where kids get extremely uncomfortable. I had this poor girl this last year. Uh, we were doing a discussion over existentialism, which that's a really that's a really tough concept for 16 year olds mm -hmm. to, talk about to begin with. But um, this one, this one sweet girl, she starts talking. Um, she says her piece and one of her classmates immediately challenged her, not in a rude way, not in a disrespectful way, but just brought up a lot of points that she had no way to defend. But because she had never had that kind of challenge in her life, um, she got really emotional and she had to step out of the classroom. Um, you know, and then, we had to have that conversation afterwards of us saying we're doing this so that you have the ability not only to think critically and figure out what is true, but also whenever those questions come up, you have thought about them and you have an answer to them. Um, and if we, if we're not having those conversations in class, we're doing our kids a disservice. You know, the attack against teachers is that they're indoctrinating students. Well, if you have an entire population that doesn't have the ability to look at the realities of history and how we ended up where we are today, that's just as bad, right? That's indoctrinating them essentially to not have the ability to think for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, I want to, I want to go back a little bit because we got on this, on this train of thought, whenever you're talking about, curriculum really as a teacher um you know we look at research we look at data and we're really looking for hard skills right things like literacy or writing or whatever it is one thing that i've really been thinking about um is how do we start to incorporate more soft skills into learning right into our curriculum and into education because that's not something that you can really grade right is that something that you focus on in your position I would say currently uh, that's something that is on my on on my mind, um, but initially just trying to sure up those uh, hard skills or those things that are deemed absolutely necessary by you know the powers that be by you know the by the state of Oklahoma. 
Um, but I do believe that when you teach from a authentic perspective, um, that you are helping students develop some some of those soft skills. Um, and I and I do think there is a place in in our in, in in our school system for those. And I and I don't think it's relegated to a class that's called soft you no know, soft skills one on one on one. Um, I've actually seen seen that class in in a different state. Kind of was weird to me. Uh, really weird. But <laughs> sorry. But yeah, I think depending how how you approach curriculum and how you um, approach your instructional practices, you can help students develop some of those soft skills. Um, one of the things in terms of what you mentioned about the experience of that student that hadn't been challenged before, um, I always tell you know teachers you know don't go half the year. And then, you know, decide you're going to have a class discussion over over, you know, the you know, mass in in mass mass incarceration or or something like that. Like you need to start off day day one explaining and setting a tone for the class, like a culture where students know like, hey, you don't have to agree with me. I'm, 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 I'm the teacher. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. But we're, I'm going to respect you. You're going to respect me. We're going to talk about it. But. If we're going to make a point, we got to back it up with some facts. It can't just be, well, I heard or I thought or and maybe you can say I feel, but those feelings kind of have to be backed up by something. Um, so just teaching them those types of skills. I mean, we what we see online is ridiculous. You know, people just throw out random stuff that is not has any you no know, roots in reality, uh, but they you know go, go with that or people become super offended if someone challenges in a thought or an opinion that you have. So I think some, some of those soft skills are absolutely, you know, learning how to have civil discourse is, is important. Um, considering community and, and those types of things are, are important and helping students learn how to build and develop a community uh, is, is super important um, because we see what happens when students don't. They go out and they can't really connect. They have a hard time adjusting to people that, that might be different than them. Um, they have a hard time, especially in the un, in the uni, in the university setting when they're told they have to work collaboratively and things like that. Uh, so, so some of those soft skills, um, learning how to advocate for themselves and speak up for themselves, um, used to be a time where those those things were probably more instilled in the home, but that's not our reality anymore. And so I think. Uh, there is a place for it, but initially you got to get those hard skills and then the soft ones, if you're doing it correctly, will actually get get met as well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how you would really classify Chickasha as a district. Do you think it would be considered a rural district or a small suburb? Not really sure how to put it into yeah, a box. Uh, weird. Chickasha is is interesting. Um, it's not as big as Lawton, but it has some of the same hurdles and you know and things that Lawton has. Uh, but it also has that kind of rural that rural uh, fringe to it as well. So, I mean, I would say Chickasha can kind of be compared to maybe a blending of like maybe Lawton public pub, Lawton public schools, Yukon. And, you know, whatever rural district you want to pull out, you know, uh, you know, Blanchard or something like that, um, because you have the, the, the size of like a rural school district. Uh, but you also have such a blended community 
and, and different things that happen that are more on the urban-ish side of things. Uh, but you also do have some of the things that like Yukon and Mustang, those suburban districts kind of experience as well. So it is a hodgepodge. It is a buffet of things. <laughs> it, it, it's a really good buffet. I would say that uh, for people who want to get a good understanding or good experience of what some of those environments might might be like, Chickasha is a good, good place. Uh, maybe we should be a, a case study for something pretty soon. Hey, I would, uh, I'd definitely be willing to uh, volunteer to come help. Um, my, my grandparents are from Chickasha, so I'm really familiar with the town. Um, I gave my first red card as a soccer referee doing a game there. So <laughs> a lot of memories in my heart, but what, you know, you're talking about a buffet. It's just kind of, uh, it's just a lot of things kind of all thrown together. Um, what are the biggest challenges that your district faces um, that might be unique to you guys? Oh, no, unique to us. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of kind of live by the by the philosophy that, you know, there's nothing new up under up under the sun. Um, you know, there's nothing new. It's everybody's kind of experiencing something just to a maybe a lesser or a greater degree. I think one of the one of the challenges is well right now for maybe every district is um developing and embracing a new normal um i would say post-covid but that's not really we're not post-covid uh, but i think you know there's been lots of lessons learned about instruction and systems and, and procedures in place uh to help students in crazy times um Chickasha is unique, maybe in the way that I think one of the hurdles is is try not to let too much of the outside stuff influence what's happening in our schools, um, because our primary concern, at least for me, and I would say that for most of the leader lead, lead, for most of the leadership in our district. Um, from, you know, teacher level all the way up to the superintendent is to educate children, to give them the best opportunities, the best experiences as possible. And sometimes that becomes difficult when you have outside entities or outside agendas that want to use the, the public school system as part of the little proxy wars. Uh, you know, it's uh, that, that that can be tough to navigate. I will say I don't think we had too much of that in, in Oklahoma City when I when I taught there for ten years. We had our own set of struggles in Oklahoma City, uh, it would, but it was still a good fight, and I think the fight is still good in, in Chickasha. Um, you know, just trying to make sure that you know what what agendas people have on the outside don't get thrown into the mix of our school setting, and really kind of working with our community. Uh, to touch and be a part of our community without necessarily having any of being, being tainted by any of the stuff in the community. I say it's probably a challenge. On that note, um, I, I taught at Putnam City uh, two years ago now. Mm -hmm. That's kind of crazy to think. Um, you know, I, having bounced around between a couple of different high schools my first few years, I can say that the schools that really thrive, um, there's a lot of factors to it, but that community involvement that you're talking about is, <laughs> is uh, super, super important. Um, how are you guys trying to build that, 
that relationship with the community. Hold on one second. That's okay. Okay. Uh, for those of you that are uh, listening right now, I think that uh, Mr. Bowens had a had one of his small humans come into the room. Um, you know, we're really lucky here in Bartlesville. Uh, we have a very active group of parents um, that are invested in our schools, you know, come out to help uh, do different things like help out at lunch, help out with fundraising. Um, but that community aspect is super important. So Mr. Bones is back. Um, yes. how, how do you guys um, as leadership, how do you guys try to build that connection with the community and get them invested and involved in enriching the lives of these students? Well, I will say that's kind of one of the uh, interesting things about our community. Our community is all in for our schools. Um, we have so many community partners, whether they be civic organizations, churches have been awesome partners um, without even really trying to push a religious agenda. They just want to just support kids and that has been awesome. Uh, but one of the things is is actually getting involved with our with our community, being, you know, having leadership from our district sit on the city chamber of commerce, uh, you know, to understand how that there is a, a relationship that exists. The, the, the city and town will not grow if our schools do not perform well. But also our schools need need the need need the city and the local governments and the businesses to do certain things to help us attract talented teachers and and create space for students to explore and try different things. So we've partnered with local businesses to help bring in programs like our um, uh, STEM and uh, robotics, um, parts like that. Of course, you know, it's Oklahoma. And so, you know, football is, uh, football and sports is, is everything. Uh, so we have great, great partners that, you know, help our, our athletes who may not be able to afford some of the things that they need that will, donate and provide things for our for our athletes our student athletes um same thing with our, our fine arts we have a great theater community and they work in conjunction with our schools um, many of our students um at the at the lowest levels are involved in the, in the plays in the productions and so uh so so students are getting an opportunity to take drama and theater and then get to go directly to the community and and display it for everybody um, with some of our local uh, businesses, uh, we're working on hopefully a partnership that will get some internships for our students. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, ICAP and, and the new state requirement for ICAP. Um, we're working really hard to get our students uh, to partner up with local um, businesses or even surrounding businesses that are interested in having some of our students because the better quality people that, that we put out as, as a product of our schools, the better that their businesses do. So it's this kind of symbiotic relationship that I think that, that the community realizes exists, but also um, our community is made up of, of teachers and retired teachers, former, you know, former, former students. Um, and they all want to see Chickasha do well in, 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 in its entirety. And um, yeah, there are, there are those that have certain agendas and things like that, but in our, in our partnerships, we're working really hard, um, to make sure that those agendas, if it doesn't line up with helping kids and supporting families, then it has no place. 
And we're really looking at becoming a district, a full service district that provides wraparound services. And our community is going to be a huge part in that, um, providing counseling and uh, services to providing, you know, uh, safe, safe, safe spaces and after school programs that we're going to need support and vol volunteers and financial con contributions and space to make happen. Um, to really, uh, you know, to to really help students have a well-rounded experience and really even providing some things. We have a adult ed program. And one of the awesome things we just seen is that we had a student enroll in our in our in our uh, in our district and we went ahead and enrolled the mom in the adult ed program. So so now the mother and daughter are both, you know, part of our of our school community and we're serving both. I'm able to help both uh, reach, you know, a, a better, a, a better life lifestyle uh, to reach some of their goals. And so working with our community has been a incredible experience. Uh, even before I came back to work in Chickasha, I was always involved in the community. So I always knew what the schools were doing. And as an as a ed educator that wasn't an employee of Chickasha Public Schools, I could provide some insight to some things and throw some ideas out there that may not be heard if I was within the system at that time. Uh, but now that I am, uh, I kind of serve a dual role as a community member as well as a employee. And so sometimes that's a tough thing to walk. But I would say our community is incredibly supportive. Um, as, as long as they want the same things that the, the, we want, we want a healthy community. We want students to have a great learning experience that prepares them for whatever that their goals are. We want to be able to also help support healthy families. As long as our community partners want that, we're, we're going to partner up and do whatever we can. And I would say that we've had little resistance in that area. That's awesome to hear. Um, that that entire thing that you were just talking about with wraparound services, um, that is such a necessary but not talked about issue um, within the public school system, but in the larger community that those schools serve. Um, like you said, things like soft skills, a lot of times uh, we're typically being taught outside of schools. Um, but the reality is that parents uh, by and large are facing a lot more challenges than they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and the most natural place for those things to happen is the school. Um, it's amazing to hear that you guys are having such great success. And I hope that somebody hears it and uh, has some ideas about how they might be able to incorporate their community more into the schools. So uh, we are getting close to an hour. So I want to start moving in that direction. Um, we spent a lot of time talking specifically about your role today as a curriculum specialist, but I want to get kind of the unfiltered opinion, if possible, of Milton Bones here. What, uh, what are the three biggest problems with education in Oklahoma specifically that must change to stop our system from buckling in on itself? All right, let me go ahead and give my disclaimer. The views expressed by this individual do not represent Chickasha Public Schools or any other organization that I am currently or have been affiliated with. Three of the greatest issues facing public ed right now is uh, it is political, economic, and social. Public ed has been used as a political football um, to really 
score points. Uh, no, we have those who have a political agenda that prefers um, privatized schools. Um, and we've seen funds being taken away from public schools. And people say, well, I don't believe it's intentional. I, I, I personally believe it's intentional. I believe that the idea is to starve and defund public ed to the point where it becomes anemic and can't do the basic things it should do well, while at the same time pressing the, the, the public school system to do more than what it has been expected to do, but don't give them enough tools to do it. Maybe a biblical response would be to build more bricks without straw. And so that when public ed fails, when they don't meet the, these new expectations, then people can say, look, we need to privatize. We need to give more, more, more choice. We need to do all these other things. And what we're going to see happen if that, if that is allowed to happen is a greater disparity in, in, our, in our communities, whether in, in class and in income. Um, ed, public ed has been probably at some points have been the great uh, balancer of bringing people to the same to the same same place, and then creating opportunities and preparing people to to excel in those oper, opportunities. But if we continue to allow public ed to be the to, to be the whipping post of of those with a political agenda, then we're going to see communities fall further behind, and incomes continue to drop in certain communities and people not given the opportunities. We're not saying people need handouts. They need an opportunity to prove themselves and show what they can do. Um, and so that's one of the issues that I see facing public ed is that, that there is a targeted and intentional approach to weaken it to the point where people are more, even people that public ed is the best for will embrace the idea of something else that's not for them. Mm -hmm. until it's, they won't realize it until it's uh, too late. One of the other issues we see with uh, with public ed is that it has been we're no longer seen as professionals in this state. We're not being treated currently with some of the laws that are be being passed. Even look at um, at the at some of the COVID laws and the mask mandate laws. Is that you know we're getting told one thing by the one org from from one side. Um, from experts and they were getting told by the law that we can't do what the experts say do. And then the communities are crying for us to make something happen, protect the kids, do it. And I don't think they realize that our hands are tied. That, that the things that have been stated and shown to work, we're not allowed to do in a, in a meaningful way. And, and not trusting educators as professionals, as experts in their fields. Like we, we don't see doctors treated this way. We, we, we don't see um, our um, law profession treated this way. We don't see people questioning and treating our uh, engineers and architects the way that, that we're being treated. And so we're not seen as professionals. Um, we've seen a lot of emergency certified and I have nothing against emergency certified because some of them I believe with the right support are going to be incredible educators that are going to make a difference in so many spaces. But they have to have the right support and tools and resources, which goes back to the political and economic, that we're not given the funds that we need to do with what we need to do. 
And also one of the other challenges is that we're going to, as much as schools can provide wrap, wraparound services, I think communities have to realize, our, our local and state leaders have to realize that they're going to need an enormous amount of outside support and partners to do this work, um, to be able to hold, because I believe that education is like the final battleground for our, for our nation, for our, so for our society, our principles and values. Um, once public ed is, is down, it's all, all bets are off. And so I think getting, getting teachers a, a living and respectable wage is important. Also um, trusting um, local leaders to make decisions that is best for their communities. Chickasha is in like Oklahoma City. And so I could never come in and expect to operate curriculum the way that Oklahoma City does. They, they do a great job for their context. We can learn from each other, but we can't cookie, cookie cut everything and expect it to work. Um, we have to have a, some, some voice and choice. And I've said that multiple times. Teachers need it. Students need it. Principals need it. Superintendents need to be able to do what's necessary for their districts, for their communities and for their school sites. Um, so, you know, trusting them to be the educated professionals, but also we have to be very uh, thoughtful about, about those that we let into our, our profession. And um, I've had the privilege of working with, with UCO's College of Ed and working with their uh, methods classes and being a, an assessor for their classes, kind of someone that comes in and observes what these, you know, future ed educators think they're going to do when they leave into the field and helping to mold and shape them some and give them advice to help them move forward. But I think our, our, our universities also have to work clo closer with the, with, the, with the districts that they serve to know what's needed. Okay. Yeah. When, when I came out of you and when I came out of, out of college, I was given a certain set of skills. Well, I can tell you now teachers that are coming out now, need a little bit of a different type of training, a different type of experience. And so um, bringing that whole piece together to really re-professionalize our profession. Um, and, I, and I think it goes, it's not about dressing a certain way or anything like that. I think it's about the respect and, and skills that we place in the people when we are putting people in, in, the, in, in, the right, in the right position. So funding, the, the professionalism, but also the fact that we are the political whipping post for those with a certain type of political leaning or political agenda. Um, you know, they're always um, finding ways to pick and prod at us in a way that isn't helpful. Mm. And then we have, you know, those that you know are, are, are on our side or whatever support public ed. But I think when, when it comes time for the rubber to meet the road, some of them may not have the, the courage to even be the lone voice to say, maybe this isn't the right way to go. And so I think just politically, regardless of what the political affiliation or parties are, um, you know, we need leaders that are going to let schools do what, do the business of schooling, to do the business of educating and, and, and taking care of students uh, and, and not use us to bring their national issues 
to an area where it's not even in it in in there was not even an issue or in existence. Um, so those are the, the the three areas that I'm seeing that really trouble me, but that also prompt me to fight like hell for public ed. My kids are my kids are in public ed. I'm a product of it. I, I make my living. I do my my life's work in public ed, and I know how vital and important it is. I have literally seen a good educational experience turn a turn a student's life around that has you no know, they were on course for prison or for worse a grave but a good experience in education with qualified teachers who care who aren't there to get a check but care uh with with the, with the right curriculum that engages them in a way that they can see themselves doing something besides going down that pathway and they literally turn their lives around and now they see they have options and opportunities and so i just think that's something we all have to be willing to put some to put some skin in the game and fight for uh, i love oklahoma I was, i'm born and raised here i'll probably die here <laughs> uh, but you no know, i know that education can turn this whole state around if we let professional educators do what they know is best for, for, the, for the students and, and not just give us lip service to say, oh, we love our teachers. We support our teachers. Put your money where your mouth is. Fund us correctly and appropriately. Um, but also trust us to be to be professionals and quit using us as your as your whipping post to score political points. You know, normally I end with uh, with one last question, but I think that that response uh, deserves some time to chew over and think about. So I could not agree with everything you said anymore if I tried. Um, but it is awesome to hear people like you talk about it, um, to know that there are strong, powerful voices out there advocating for public education as hard as I am and as hard as thousands of more educators are um, in this state. And, you know, it is a, it's a fight that's, that's worth fighting, no matter what the cost is. Um, so with all this being said, once again, thank you, Mr. Bones, for coming on today. I would love to have you uh, back on again if you're up for it. Hey, I'm up for it. And, and, and thank you, Trey, for creating a platform for voices to be heard and for people to share ideas and information, even if they don't agree. But it gets us thinking, it gets us talking, and I believe great things come from that. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you to everyone who's listened this far. Uh, once again, make sure you guys go check out the last couple episodes. We will start releasing pretty much two episodes a week during the school year because I'm far too busy to do any more than that. Uh, make sure you guys go check out the Instagram. You guys get a little bit more unfiltered opinion from me on there, and uh, maybe you'll laugh at some of the stuff. Who knows? But for Teacher's Pet, this is Trey Cabler. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back again very, very, very soon.